Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways to do so are by leaving us five-star reviews, subscribing to the show on your favorite platform, and downloading the show. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at lunchpailguys underscore. Enjoy today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 181st week of the Launch Pale Guys podcast. We have Bart here, we have Wyatt here, and we have Jared here. And if you're somebody who tunes into this podcast for Aiden Lewis, I have some sad news to report in that he will not be here for the next month, but we will try and all live up to his presence in that time. I mean, he's got a lot of exciting stuff planned. He's getting married. He's going on his honeymoon. I'm sure he'll have a great time, but not as good a time as if he had been on this podcast every single week. So, Aiden, we hope you're listening out there and having a great time. Uh, We're going to get started, as we always do, with some news we missed. Uh, First up, the A's finalized their deal to move to a stadium um, in Las Vegas. Specifically, it'll be on the Las Vegas Strip, sort of making Vegas a very big sports hub with a baseball team uh, with the hockey team with a football team and hosting an F1 race. So all they have left is um, an NBA team for the four major sports, and they also have a great WNBA team there as well in the Las Vegas Aces. So Vegas mm. has gone from nothing uh, to a lot in the span of, like, 10 years, I feel like. Yep. Yeah. Um, in some basketball news, uh, John Morant was suspended once again uh, for a similar incident as last time. Uh, where he showed a gun on his Instagram Live. Um, In other basketball drama, Anthony Davis unfollowed Stephen A. Smith. Um, And in big news, um, and in some more exciting, more concrete, actual basketball-related news, um, the San Antonio Spurs won the NBA Draft Lottery and will have the rights to draft uh, Victor Wembanyama. So boring, too. Like, it'd be cool if the Blazers did it. I'd be... Okay, if the if the Hornets got it, be kind of cool if the Magic got it, and I think the Spurs are just like the boring answer to that because they have no other notable player to put him next to where they where it's worth watching as well. You know, it's just like, well, now hopefully, like I mean, like the best case scenario is that it's like another Spurs dynasty with Tim Duncan, but it wasn't just Tim Duncan. Like there were other sweet players around him, and I don't think the Spurs have that. I think it's the best case scenario for him, though, and that I've seen like yeah, a lot probably. of people note that San Antonio is a super small market, so there's going to be, there is still going to be a bunch of pressure on him, but it's not going to be like if he went to like Chicago or something like that, you know what I mean? One of the really big <clears throat> markets or something. Obviously, he's also going to get Greg po- Greg Popovich too, who has a pretty good track record, um, and it's worked out pretty well for the other number one overall picks that the Spurs have had, David Robinson and Tim Duncan, so. I think it was good for him. The, the expectations are so unfair on him, first off. I saw uh, on First Things First, there was some report apparently that they expect him to be the best offensive player in the league and defensive player in the league by year three. That's crazy. That's cr- I saw a quote that said if he plays at Akeem Olajuwon level, he will be a disappointment. Those quotes are taken out of context, by the way. I listened to that episode. Mm-hmm. And they, oh, really? they are they are responding too. to other quotes, and I don't think that they're explicitly saying that quote. No, I, I think yeah, Chris yeah, Broussard said. I think he, executive said the third the, that he'll be the third best or the best offensive and defensive player by third year was an executive quote. 
But Chris Broussard said, okay, well, then if he doesn't play like Hakeem Olajuwon. I think he was saying, I think he was saying, given the level of hype that has been around him as like the best prospect ever, the LeBron James level, that he will have to play above those level levels to live up to that hype. Not that he thinks that. I don't think that that's the case. Mm, I don't know. He didn't. He wasn't arguing that the hype was too big. He definitely didn't argue that in the segment. So I don't know. Mm. Hmm. Well, we'll see how his career plays out. Um, and with that, we're going to move on to our first segment. Uh, we're going to talk about somebody whose career has played out maybe in a disappointing way in the context of his larger team, and that is Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. So... Joel Embiid is now officially the only MVP who has never made a conference finals in their career. Yes, he has some time left to do it, but at this point, he's the only one to have never made the conference finals as a member of my beloved Sixers. Doc Rivers had yet to relive his 2008 glory days. He got fired officially earlier this week. And James Harden was non-existent in the Sixers Game 7 and is opting out of his player option for next year. So... The Sixers are out. They totally collapsed in Game 7. Wyatt, what are your takeaways from this game? And what did it say about the big names in Philadelphia as they fell to the Celtics? Well, one of my biggest takeaways is that I'm not really that surprised. You have a coach who's famous <laughs> for blowing multiple leads in the playoffs in Doc Rivers. He, I think he has more 3-2 and 3-1 leads than any other coach in NBA history. You have a second star in James Harden who is notorious for crumbling in high-pressure moments. And apparently you have a first star who follows the same boat as James Harden who just cannot seem to get up for the playoffs whatsoever. I think J- like Jason Tatum in Game 7 broke the NBA playoff record with 51. Before that, Steph Curry broke the Game 7 record against the Kings with 50. Jimmy Butler is a notorious playoff performer, and he scored 56 and 42 in the last two games uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks. So I don't think it's an unfair standard or an impossibility to ask Joel Embiid to strap on the backpack and put together a dominant performance for the 76ers. The guy that won MVP, for crying out loud. And he's like the first sender since Shaq to lead the league in scoring as well. And he's also the, he has the largest drop-off in points per game in the regular season to the playoffs than any other MVP in the year that they won it. So, I mean, it's just like, he is... As far as I'm concerned, James Harden again. And just like the fact that I think he lacks a level of seriousness and immaturity when it comes to playing in in the moments. Pretty much highlighted by his comments after the game that Mm. James Harden and I can't win alone. And that's why it's five on five. When Tobias Harris carried his weight, P.J. Tucker, who is not a scorer for that team, carried well above his weight. So therefore, James Harden and Joel Embiid were the two worst players on the court for Philadelphia. They're they're silly, the 76ers. They're immature. And I said before the playoffs that he was either going to be close. It's going to tell us whether he's closer to Carmelo or whether he was closer to Shaq because of the regular season prestige. He is Carmelo Anthony. And this team will <laughs> never win a championship as long as he is the best player on that team. Wow. What were you saying about Harden last I, week? No, I'm just joking. I'm walking him back. <laughs> yeah. I also said they can't afford to let him go, but I didn't say that he is a crucial piece to winning a championship. <laughs> no, that's fair. It's tough. Like, I think that I'm with you. I think this was 100% the most predictable thing. I think I've mentioned it to everybody I talked to that before game seven, 
they were going to lose that game by 20 points. Well, you're and a pessimistic they lost... fan. No, 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 no. This was the most <laughs> predictable outcome in history, and I agree with you. I think it just puts the Sixers in a tough situation, and we'll talk about this in our next segment where we talk about where the eliminated teams go from here, but it's like, I don't know what they do at this point. Like, it kind of feels like the whole, like, process sort of era has died in a way. Like, the the best player they got out of it, Joel Embiid, is a fantastic regular season player. But like you said, Wyatt, crumbles every single time he gets to the playoffs. The second superstar, Harden, same way. I'm glad they fired Doc. I think that was, you know, something that needed to be done. But apparently it's caused even more rifts in the locker room. Apparently Embiid really liked Doc and was upset, which I kind of get from Embiid's perspective in that, like, the whole offense was drawn up basically to get Embiid touches. But it wasn't a winning way to play basketball. Doc played so slow and just no offensive creativity. They're, like, last in the league, I think, in, cut, in cuts, like, per game. Um, so, I don't know. It's just this weird situation where they're stuck with a guy who is, like Carmelo, a generational talent in some ways, but obviously not to the extent that he can ever turn it on the playoffs. And you don't want to let that go, but also I don't know what else you do. Because... Hmm. They're just kind of like stuck in this weird middle place where they either really regress or they try and win with Embiid, and neither seem like options that bring them much closer to a championship. You got something, Bart? I feel like you're, yeah. you're brewing there. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Well, okay. So one thing I just wanted to say is that I don't care if Embiid like Doc. Doc is a trash playoff coach, and that was the right decision. I yeah, saw yeah. He's six and ten in, in game sevens. It's the worst record apparently of all time by a head coach, and he's lost five straight of them. So like this is his thing. No, but I don't know. I I'm still optimistic that Embiid like his quote was in such bad taste, but I am still optimistic that he is actually going to come back next season and and play better and actually like accept Bart, there's that no his way. teammates. There's no way that you, we can Lucas believe that. Lucas is the pessimist. I'm the optimist. Yeah, I, yeah. So we got to balance each other out, right? But there's <laughs> no way that you can believe in that. I mean, like, maybe regular season-wise, we can see a jump between him not winning MVP and winning MVP, and we could say, oh, he's gotten better. Um, but he also had had a catastrophic playoff loss against the Toronto Raptors where there's a video and there's pictures still on the internet of him walking around crying in the tunnel. Where it's like, I got to take it seriously. And then now we're right back here again uh, in what is a bad playoff performance. And I know that he was crying because it was a bounce. And that maybe they would have gone on to win a championship that year or whatever. Um, but you would think that he would he would have the mentality that I will never let that happen again. And it doesn't really seem to be the case in this game with what was a incredibly lackluster performance from an MVP who, again, led the league uh, in scoring for the first time as a center since Shaquille O'Neal, and has basically cried about not getting the recognition he deserves in the MVP award by saying, like, I don't know what else I have to do to win it. And now I just I just feel like all of the pieces have been on the board, all the chips have lined up on his shoulder for them to take this seriously, and he just does not have the temperament or the mental toughness or whatever you want to call it to really put together a worthwhile playoff uh, performance. This team, if they had kept Jimmy Butler, I believe would have won. Because Jimmy Butler, at least, is a killer. Like, he'll, he'll go out there and he'll get you something. I think that the only move that they can make, really, is one, James Harden is gone. You let him walk. Um, 
I don't know if a team is really going to be committed to a sign-in trade after like failure after failure from James Harden. Um, and he said that he really wants the freedom to be himself and uh, be the basketball player he wants to be, which I don't even know what that means. Uh, but so I think that it's either it's either you go and get Dame, who is a really good playoff performer, who is a very clutch guy, who is an elite shooter and an aggressor, basically. Um, or I don't know. You just hope that Tyrese Maxey ends up becoming the next best thing since sliced bread, I guess. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about James Harden, though, but. James Harden won them two playoff games in that series. Like, he was horrific in others. But Embiid <laughs> sure. won them a big, fat zero games in that playoffs. Like, no win was, like, because Embiid took over. There were two games where Harden took over. And I realized, it, I mean, it's the classic thing with Harden is that the floor is so low and the ceiling is so high. But it's almost like, I don't know what you do in that situation yeah, where you the- look at Embiid's performance versus Harden's and you're like, well, Harden, I think if you look at it, I think Harden had a, bl- a better series. <laughs> no way. The There's no way. I mean, yeah, let's let's just say it's a sure. That all goes away when you score nine points in game seven. And he clearly he clearly does not. Shooting. Come on. He does not like to play mm-hmm. next to second stars when it comes time to actually winning. Like Chris Paul was like, we should pass the ball more. And he walked in the office and said, it's him or me. You you trade him out of here, or I'm or I'm out of here as well. He just doesn't want to play that. He can play like the no like the non consequential game of game one, where it's like if I if James Harden or uh, if Joel Embiid isn't on the court and I throw up thirty shots, who's gonna blame me, right? No one's gonna look at him and say like, well, he just didn't do what he's supposed to do. Like there like it was so like there was no consequence to him having a big game one and game what was it game three. Like it was, it was game four, and I think that was a pretty big of consequence game. Embiid was back from the knee injury. He had been back from for this was his third game back for Embiid. They were down two one. They basically needed to win that game to have any shot of winning the series, and he went off for forty some. Like I think that that is, like I think if you average it out, I think Harden was more impactful in this series than Embiid was, because Embiid had no game where he looked particularly good. He had 30, yeah, 34, he had 30 points three times. What are you talking about? Not in game, I feel like not in ways Games that three matter. I think six. there was no... T- <laughs> in ways that matter. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I think <laughs> you, that, can't say, you can't say James you, Harden's points matter, but <laughs> Embiid's don't. Embiid no, but I think Harden took over... Too, I, would get, I would guess, but... But I think Harden took over the game in ways that Embiid did not. Like, I think you could clearly attribute the game's one and four wins to the way Harden played. I don't think there's a single win you could point to. I guess game five was the only other win. That was Embiid's, like, taking over and going crazy. And he shrunk in the big moments just like Harden did. Like, I don't think his shrinking was that much worse. But I'm not defending Harden as having a good series. He had a bad series. But I'm saying that, at least from his perspective, like, he took over those games for you in the way that Embiid never did. Yeah, I just think that None of that really matters when when you get eliminated in a seven game series when oh. you should have won and you put up nine in game seven, thirteen in game six, and seventeen in game five. Like like we said, like he he scored forty five in game one, then he scored twelve and sixteen in the next two games. Then he scored forty two, then he scored seventeen, thirteen, and nine. Like he did like it's just like the, the when the expectation is we need to actually win, um, he just doesn't do it. 
I mean, that's the problem across the team. I don't think there was anybody who looked consistently great. Like, Harris, I think, was pretty bad throughout most of the series. Maxi was good for parts, but also just, like, disappeared at other parts. Like, I think it's just a poorly constructed roster in a lot of ways. Like, I've seen a lot of comparisons to Jokic, since Jokic is obviously dominating, and the, you know, obvious comparison between the two. I think that Jokic has been surrounded with exactly the players that he needs to, to become the best player in the NBA. I think the Sixers have just done a terrible job of surrounding Embiid with the talent that he needs. It's not about so surrounding like Embiid coming. anymore. Yeah, I know, you and can't. that's what like has begun. Yeah, and so like I don't even know what you do at this point. Like it's just kind of turned into this like no win situation for the Sixers where they're. I feel like they're kind of stuck. Like, I mean, we were. We were like 10 minutes away from slandering Jason Tatum endlessly because he had that awful game and then he picked it up in the fourth quarter. The, 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 what was it? It was like a six-minute stretch where the Sixers made one field goal or something and they blew their lead in that game. If, if they had actually made some shots there and won that game, then the Sixers are moving on and we're not even having this conversation. So I just feel like it's... Yeah, Jason Tatum, though... It's overblown like he, a little. He, he's, he, Jason Tatum has gotten up for these playoff series in the last couple of years. Like I know that it's like, what if he blew it? But maybe like I guess we'll never know because he does. He just doesn't. I, th- I think that that's the difference. Is that like he's he at least he is like the opposite of James Harden, where it's like oh it matters, and then he gets up for it, and like oh maybe like game three doesn't really matter, so he's really bad. When James Harden is like, like it's like the game six clay. It's like game one James Harden, you know, where like the series it has like it means nothing, you know. We'll see. But we're going to use this as a sort of jumping off point uh, for our next segment. We're going to go through all the four teams that were eliminated in the conference semifinals, the Sixers, the Knicks, the Suns, and the Warriors, and sort of just go out and say what we think each team needs to do to sort of get into contention next year for to be an actual title contender. Um, we'll start with the Sixers since we were just discussing them, um, and I have them. Part of me just thinks they should blow it all up. Like, it feels like kind of a, a lose-lose situation. Like, Embiid is not getting any younger. He is 30, or is about to be 30. Um, he has a really bad injury history. That's not going to get better. He seems to have reached his kind of ceiling of where he can be. And so maybe just cash it in for a lot and just hope it turns out. Like, take a sort of thunder strategy and start the process all over again. But I don't think you can do it this year. I think you have to maybe give it one more year to see how that pans out. I think it's like just maybe – it seems like you, you can't trade a reigning MVP. I will say that. I think that's and the all only this play- time you can. You think so? <laughs> the only time in the history yeah. of the NBA. <laughs> yeah. I just think that, yes, this was a bad playoffs. But it's one bad playoffs – like, I think last year he was hurt for a lot of it. You can't really blame that on him. He played well in the 2019 series against the Raptors. They just lost. Like, yes, it was one horrific playoff performance, but it is just one horrific playoff performance. Players recover from that all the time. I've heard the comparison made for MB to Dirk in some ways where he can never really get over that hump for years and years and years. Had some really terrible playoff performances, like when they lost to the eighth seed. But... Eventually, things just kind of fell into place around him, and it worked out. So, I think maybe you give it a year, maybe two, before you really blow it up, just to see if there's a Dirk sort of situation there. Um, but, obviously, step one for them is getting a new coach, now that Doc Rivers is hired. I 
do not want J.J. Redick, who's apparently the betting favorite now. No. That would be the worst move in the history of sports. I thought like, he interviewed genuinely. for the Toronto job. Did he interview for I think that I guess they just fired him, so they wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they interviewed. That would be awful, and I would stop watching the Sixers if they hired J.J. Redick. That's dramatic, but like I think it would be just a horrific hire. In any case... So I think I don't want J.J. Redick. I don't want D'Antoni either because I don't want them to just recreate the Rockets, which seems to be what Daryl Morey is trying to do, but recreating the Rockets way didn't past work. their prime. Where Harden's, <laughs> yeah. the hard, First off, it didn't work for the Rockets, and second, Harden's way past his prime. But I know Morey like, has his guys that he always goes to, and so I'm a little bit worried it's going to be D'Antoni. Um, I'd be fine of any of Monty, Bud, or Nurse. I think Bud might actually be the best fit for what they want to do. Nurse is a great defensive coach, um, but the Sixers' problem was their stagnant offense. They were they were a pretty good defensive team throughout the year, and even in the Celtics series, bar the Game 7 collapse. Um, I like Monty a lot. He hasn't won a title, and Bud has. Maybe that's the difference. Um, and I think... Doc Rivers has. The fact... <laughs> Sorry, who has? I said Doc, Doc Rivers, Rivers has. Yeah, but I think... 15 years ago now, is it? 15 years ago, but has won a title in the modern NBA, is what I will say. So, I think I would prefer Monty or Bud. I think it's a toss-up for me. Maybe slightly Bud, just because he has won a championship. Uh, But I'd be good with either of those. I think both could effectively find ways to run an offense. Um, They need to offload the Tobias Harris contract. Um, he's getting like a max deal and is eating up space for other players. He's in his last year of it this year, so maybe they can trade him away to a team who just wants a salary, like a salary to burn for next off season. Um, because he is really underperformed. He he has his moments. He's really good in the net series, but he is not worth the salary that you were paying him. And you can finally maybe trade that away. So do that. Tinker with the roster. I think you give it one more year, maybe two, before you really blow it up. Um, and just hope that bringing in a new coach works out. Uh, yeah, we'll see where we go from there. All right, the next team we're talking about is the New York Knicks, who fell to the Miami Heat. Jared, what do the Knicks have to do to get back into contention? Um, they have a lot of options. I don't really think they should blow it up or trade for an all-star, though. I don't really know if that's worked, like, recently. And also, you we've seen, like, a lot of fluky runs in the East, too, with, like, Jimmy Butler, like now what in the last? I think they've made like haven't they made two? They made two of the last three Eastern Conference Finals. Is that right? Or like two of the last four or something like that? I think they made three of the last four. Three of the last four, even yeah. That um, like I feel like the Knicks are a team that can make that sort of run. Like Jalen Brunson, I think is a franchise player, really good this year. Um, also seems like he was good for the culture and all that stuff too. Some kind of Jimmy Butler vibes I'm getting there too. Julius Randle just had, like, another All-NBA season. Um, what they need to do first is, like, they'll they'll decline Derrick Rose's team option and get him out. Um, a lot of publications are saying they're going to try to re-sign Josh Hart, who they acquired at the trade deadline. Like, they have a lot of picks to trade, but they also could use that for another offseason. Like, the free agency market doesn't really look that great. I think, like, Kyrie Irving is the biggest free agent on the market this year. They could maybe trade for Dame or, like, I've seen Embiid a lot, too. I would not do that. I would not do Embiid. I also don't know if I would do Dame, because I'm not sure if uh, backcourt is, like, the need right now. So, in in uh, 
So honestly, honestly, I think they should just kind of do like little tinkers on the fringes and stuff. Maybe trade like Obi Toppin, somebody like that, if you want to. I saw Austin Reeves as a good uh, offseason target, like a three and D guy. <laughs> I actually, I really do like Austin Reeves' game. He's he's been impressive, I would say. But they he's need some like three and D guys. What do you say, Bart? Reeves is going to get paid this offseason. Yeah, for better yeah. or worse. I don't know if the Knicks can afford it, but yeah. Yeah, they have like sixteen million, I think, in cap. But yeah. I think they just retool for the most part, to be honest, and see. Like the East has kind of been fluky the last couple of years. I th- I think you see what you can do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you never know. It can fall into place. Like they were relatively close to a conference championship this year. All they did was beat an eighth seed, and they couldn't quite do it. But mm-hmm. Who knows where we go from there? I think that there's an option on the table to do kind of similar what the Kings did. It seems like Jalen Brunson might be the answer for them when it comes mm-hmm. to at least from the guard I, position. Mm-hmm. Where like let's just get a guy like. DeMontis Sabonis, who may be able to get us over the home. Obviously, it didn't work in the playoffs this year, but they had an incredible resurgence in the regular season that, like, maybe they, instead of thinking about, like, what other star we can add, like Kyrie Irving or whatever, they just retool and they add some sort of, like, player who can play off of Jalen Brunson, you know, instead mm-hmm. of, like, have asking Jalen Brunson to be, like, a complimentary piece, you know? I saw Carl Anthony Towns uh, thrown around a lot, too. Like Somebody that like oh. run the pick and roll, throw throw to um, like can bounce it outside if they need to too. But, I don't know. If they want to get softer on the interior. Yeah, he's a little silly. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if Julius Randle to Car Anthony Towns is a lateral move yeah. playoff wise, right? Yeah. Even if he's more talented. Yeah. We'll see. All right, we're moving out west for the next one. Bart, you have the Phoenix Suns. What do they need to do from here? So Jared was talking about how the Knicks seem to have a lot of options, and I feel like the Suns are kind of on the other end of the spectrum where they have very few options this offseason. I, I I don't really know. I mean, obviously, firing Monty is a very significant first step. That's going to have a big impact. Is it the right decision? I have no idea, but it's obviously going to change things. And you know, we've talked a lot about the coaches who are on the market, but I think Bud is the the leading candidate right now in the in the betting market. But TBD. Um, one interesting thing is that people are saying like, oh, is, is Matt Ishbia suddenly like the next Mark Cuban where he's like, he's super involved in basketball operations and it's going to backfire. I don't know, but apparently them firing Monty was uh, significantly influenced by the owner. So that's interesting. I think one thing you have to deal with is DeAndre Ayton. Uh, people are talking about trading him. I don't think that's quite necessary yet. I think the biggest thing is that you have to get a coach with whom Aiton can actually have a good relationship because like Aiton and Monty Williams apparently did not get along at all. <laughs> Maybe it's just Aiton is a problem, but like use him in the offense, you know, like after they traded for Durant, apparently it was like focus on rebounding and defense and he, and he kind of got forgotten about. And like, obviously you're not going to shoot more than Booker or KD, but like you can use him more, get a coach who actually involves him in the offense. I think that's huge. And then the other thing is that it would be good if they could add depth. The problem is they're they're like they have super minimal cap space this offseason. On top of that, they only have seven guys signed going into the offseason. But like you saw in the playoffs, Katie and Booker were just toasted. By the end, they were so tired and they were basically trash. If you could avoid that, that would be great, but I don't know if they could do that. So like I I think the biggest thing is literally just the fact that like we talked about the stat. Katie only played eight games in the regular season, and they were trying to mesh just off of that. A whole offseason, a new coach, a chance to put together an actual offensive scheme. You know, they, they have the top tier pieces between Kevin Durant and Devin Booker to make a run. Um, I'm personally kind of 
lower on KD now after all these years because he still hasn't done anything. But like at his best, when he and Booker both go supernova, we've seen they will win you games because you just literally can't outscore that. So I don't know. The Suns are in a tricky spot. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, we're going to finish it off then with the Golden State Warriors. What, what do they need to do? I also think the Warriors are in a kind of a tricky spot. It's a little bit of a fork in the road um, because Dre and Clay, Draymond and Clay Thompson are kind of both up for some contract extensions here. But even if you ask them to take a pay cut, there won't be enough money to make like a large upgrade on this team when Steph Curry is clearly the only talented offensive player worth their salt on the Warriors. So the goal, I think, is to figure out where the dead weight is this offseason. Kamingo Moody and Jordan Poole were like the up-and-coming talent, and they all failed to make a substantial contribution this postseason. And Draymond and Klay Thompson, who are the established veterans, failed to make a substantial contribution this postseason. Keeping both Poole and Draymond also next year seems to be tough. It seems that Poole, Poole had to work uh, in, a, for, in an organization who didn't really care he got punched in the face by one of the team leaders. <laughs> they didn't do anything about it. Um, they kind of like just get over it. They had a symbolic, like their lockers were kept next to each other, but it clearly seemed to bother them uh, when it came to playing on the road and having a little bit of chemistry away from the home arena. Um so, I mean, that's going to have to be resolved whether or not it's a meeting or they one of these guys has to go. Uh, and I'm not saying that Poole would have been like a pillar of efficiency and great decision-making without the punch, uh, but like it, I think it affected the way that he responded and everybody responded back to him, uh, clearly with some interactions on the bench and walking to and from. Uh, but Draymond, though, is still the perfect fit next to Steph Curry as an elite defender and an on-ball playmaker where Steph Curry excels of being an off-ball movement, um, coming off screens kind of shooter. So it's just like, and I, and this is kind of like a non-answer. There, there is no really right direction. You just kind of have to hope that it gets better next year, that if you do decide that you sign Klay Thompson, Klay Thompson comes back and he is uh, closer to his previous version of himself he's not going to be the same defender as he was before but he does have to be more consistent offensively um and if you decide that you're going to stay with the young guys like moses uh moody and jonathan kaminga and jordan Poole, that they get significantly better because this team is still suffering from the mistake of of drafting wiseman number two overall when they could have had Lamelo ball uh, as the next generation of that backcourt so, I mean, like, if they do trade away, there's word that it's DeAndre Ayton or, like, OG Ananobi from Toronto. And either way, you're banking on an upside that they're going to be a better version of what they are in their current team. So I don't know if there is an explicit explanation. I really think the only hope is is that you catch run-it-back fever and you just hope that everything starts to go better and that Kaminga, Moody, and Poole just get significantly better and actually make – a real contribution to this team. Cause I think a full year of Curry and Wiggins is going to be beneficial. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the lunch pill guys podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple podcasts, wherever you listen. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok at lunchpailguys underscore. And we'll uh, see you later this week. Bye.